So lately, um, a lot of things have been coming at me that are all about uh, teaching introduction to Buddhism, teaching beginning Buddhism. And uh, I thought, well, that's, there's a reason that I'm getting that sort of from all sides. I'm teaching, I'm teaching a class at the Theosophical Society in the summer, a one-day retreat. And I was trying to come up with a topic. And then uh, John, who's the program d- director, said, I saw you taught a class at the Infinity Foundation, and it was on an introduction to Buddhist meditation. He said, how about, how about that? That looks, that looks good. I said, it was easy, because there was all right, I'd already written up something for it. So I said, that's perfect. So, uh, and also just in, in the course of my daily life and meeting with people and my own experience, I'm seeing this coming back to the basics all the time. And, uh, are any of you listening to, uh, uh, Bhante Analio's mindfully facing climate change? There, that's, it's a, I, I sent it to as many people as I could. It's a, uh, the Bari Meditation Retreat Center in Massachusetts is one of the places where Bhante Analeo uh, lives part of the year. So he, they, they have a class that he's taught online and he's written a book by the same title. And for free, they have a, it's a four week program that's listening to him do a lecture, and then there's a reading from the book that's right there online, and then he has a meditation with each talk. And if you register, if you register for it, it's all free, and you can go in and get the tapes. He does. There's a new one every week, but you can go in and listen to it any time, and it's going to be on their website now into the future. And all you have to do is register. So. Um, I've been doing it. We've, my Elkhorn group has been, we've been working with this because it's now we're going into the fourth week. And, um, we all started, we decided we're going to do it. We're going to go through the whole book and the whole lecture series and the meditations and as a group work through it. So by the time we got to the second lecture and we had all been listening and their problem, the audio is a little bit difficult to hear. So, Everybody was trying to figure out a way to listen to it. But, and of course, a lot of people don't have time to do it, so they come anyway to the class, but there, there, but there are some who are keeping up with the reading. And, um, the second week we had the discussion that, well, we're ready for him to get on to how we can face climate change. Like, we're, we're slogging through this, this introduction, and Bhante Analeo is a, German monk who lived in Sri Lanka a long time and ordained there, but he's lived in Thailand and he's lived in Burma, and uh, he's he now spends part of the year at the Bari Center, and he's a wonderful writer. He's written several books. He always makes sure they're available for free, and he was one of the, uh, as a scholar monk, but he practices heavily, so he's not just a scholar. Uh, he was one of the monks who, who gathered the evidence to, uh, make, to, to show that women should be allowed to ordain at the same level as men. And that, that only happened in 1995. So he spent years before that. 
being one of a group of scholars, and of the Western scholars, he's the most predominant probably, who did the research to show there's no reason, the only reason women weren't ordained as a, at the higher level was because they had, it had died out, uh, through other world conditions of over a thousand years ago, maybe more like 1500 years ago, and it needed to be revived to have the full Buddhist community. So he's very well respected and a, and a, and a really delightful calm personality but but going through the first couple of weeks of this mindfully facing climate change we were all geared up to see what we could do and you know how we were going to face the future by the second week we're like well when's he going to get to the the good part so what so what what but then by the third part we all realized okay what he's been doing has been giving us the foundation, the stuff that's really important. And by the third part, it was it was like clicking in. And, and there were several of us who were like, now I'm getting it. Now I can take off my boots because I'm not wading through, you know, thick mud or something. And what he's doing in the first two parts is laying that basic foundation. One, because... It's really what the Buddha is telling us about how to face any situation. And two, it's, it's also his, his, uh, as a monk, his credibility and his authority is from his understanding of the Buddha's teachings. And so if he can't show that what he's talking about is based on the teachings of the Buddha, you know, you, he's not an authority on the subject, right? Which is really honorable. He's really saying, I'm a monk, that doesn't mean I should be talking about everything going on in the world, because I may not know enough about it. But as a monk, and a, and a monk who's worked with, has been a, a very, he does very long retreats and has a very strong practice, and he's a scholar, but as a monk, he can talk about what did the Buddha say about this? What, what did the Buddha teach us? And so he's laying that foundation too. Like this is, this is, uh, this is a way the Buddha may have, may have talked to us today if, if he were here to talk to us. And so it was clicking in by about the third week. And so now we're all excited and we're ready. We, we thought, you know, a week ago, well, let's just get through it. Let's just honor our commitment. But I think some of us were, uh, wow, this is, this is not what we expected. Third week, everything turned around. Um, so what, so for me, the turnaround was, he's using the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the four foundations of mindfulness sutta. And everywhere I've turned lately, somebody's teaching or working with the Satipatthana Sutta. So when Bhante Yano uh, Yamo Yamo da, da I can't remember his name Yutadamo I'm sorry Bhante Yutadamo was here a few weeks ago and he did a all day retreat and he talked uh, and he he was a wonderful teacher his entire practice is based on the Satipatthana Sutta like his entire I mean that's it. And that's, that's the, that's where the Buddha laid out all the foundations. 
and not only talking about the foundations of mindfulness, but about everything that's pretty that's important in the Buddha's teachings. And so over the years I've read that sutta, I've studied it, I've talked about it, uh, I've understood parts of it, and other parts are, you know, I have have evaded sinking in for me. But I think I think the combination of all these different teachers using it and what they're talking about is beginning to make a lot of sense. But one of the things it's telling me is we always have to keep going back to the basics, the foundation. The Buddha's message was very simple. He just had, what, 40 years? 35? 40, 40, 40 years, 45 years to teach. So he started teaching at about the age of 35, and he died at 80, so that's 45, right? So he had 45 years to teach, and he was teaching people from all levels of life and all levels of education, and people who were very attached to their teachers, and people who people who didn't understand anything about uh, any kind of philosophy or religion. You know, they were they just were. Uh, encountering teachers all the time because that was what was going on in this period in India and they were maybe confused but he so his his talks essentially you could almost say that most of his talks were foundational talks but told to different audiences and different different people he was trying to reach or different maybe a specific idea and not the whole uh, the whole program so the a sutta like the Satipatthana Sutta basically goes back over everything that are the important things that he taught. And I know every year when we start talking about precepts, when I start talking about it in the summer, even the people who have taken the precepts, you know, I'll say, what are the five precepts? And nobody raises their hand. Or, um, you know, what is the Eightfold Path? Or what, is, what are the Four Noble Truths? And it's like, well, I think I should know that, but I can't really remember that right now. And I think that's that's because we, and this is, I say we, this is this is me too. I get really interested in in uh, in different aspects. Something's falling off the wall in there. I heard that we heard that's twice we've heard that sound at least. Um, you know, we get interested in a certain aspect, and so we like to pursue that. Or one thing interests us, so we pursue that. Or maybe we only, we have no interest in the teachings of the Buddha at all, but we found that this is a very peaceful place to come and learn how to meditate, meditate with a group because it's easier to do it that way, and it feels good because we have that energy from others. Um, we all, ha- every one of us has a different reason for coming. And, and as we, the longer we come and sit, we may have different other things that are interesting to us. But when I think about the way Bhante Analio is trying to teach us how to deal with a possibly very chaotic future and a very, um, unknown future. And, uh, and he's, and he's really, I mean, he's not talking about beyond our lifetimes, he's talking about, we're facing it now. I mean, we've been facing it. But it's, but it's now, it's now the chickens are coming home to roost. Um, 
he's teaching us things that the Buddha talked about 2,500 years ago that are exactly the same thing. So we even know when we uh, listen, listen to some of the chanting, uh, you know, there's the one sutta that we do, the rottenness, it's the rottenness sutta with the drought, with the jewels. And uh, the Buddha had gone to one of the one of the suttas that Bhante Analyo taught about. There was where there was a drought in the land, and so they had the people were dying, and the people couldn't live in the land anymore because they felt like there were there were spirits. Uh, it was like haunted, and they couldn't even live there. So they had been starving, and their crops were failing, and their animals were all dying. And then they felt like there were these ghosts and spirits. So the Buddha and, and his students were invited to come and see if they could help the people. And, and what the Buddha saw, of course, was that this land had a drought, and that always brings epidemics and disease, and the animals were, had died, and so there were dead animals everywhere, and dead people, and the water's bad. And so the... Uh, Tigers and things and wild an- other wild animals were coming, coming out and eating, you know, finding that prey to eat. And so that, and all the things going on in the environment, that was what the people thought were the, were the ghost, were the, those were scary things. And so, uh, the Buddha came and basically walked around the land and, and, uh, and had his monks, his monks were chanting as they walked. And the effects, what he was chanting about was that the, the, real, the real jewels, the real treasures for us are those qualities that we develop within us to make us fearless. You know, the, it's, it's a kind of self-confidence and a belief that we're the, we, are, we are the, you know, we would say today, like, we're the change. Change comes from within. It was essentially what the Buddha was trying to help these people understand and calming them with the chanting. And uh, then it rained. There was a lot of rain, and he, the Buddha knew that that was washing away the disease and the, the dead animals, and it was clean, cleaning some of the water, and, and the things would begin to grow again. So he knew it would be, that would also be a safe time for the people to come back and live in their village. But he, he, he knew that the chanting, he knew what was causing the fear in the people. And most of it was from all the wild things coming out to, to prey on all the death. And it made the people frightened. They, did, they, th- they thought they needed somebody, you know, to, uh, to get rid of the demons. And what the Buddha did was, you know, look at the situation and see that the people were what they were afraid of. And he, and the chanting was to help them realize that this, these virtuous qualities and peaceful qualities from within were the things that would allow them to go back and recreate their village and, you know, and get, they were, they were over the drought now. Things were being cleaned out, so diseases were on the way out, and the wild animals were going back into their, you know, where they normally lived, which was further away from the people. And if the people kind of maintain these, these good, wholesome qualities, that their lives could continue to be peaceful, that it wasn't anything outside of them that was creating the chaos in their lives, 
there was the chaos, but their fear was coming from uh, probably people were wondering, what did I do? Did I do something? You know, why are all these bad things happening to us? You know, it's typical. Like when bad things happen, one of the first things people want to do is, whose fault is it? Who's to blame for this? We see a lot of that right now in our, in, you know, we're so litigious too. So who can we sue about this problem? So whose fault is it that the climate, that, you know, that we're facing all this stuff on our planet? Well, that's, that's what people do. We internalize too a lot of the, the shame and the guilt, you know, when, when we're, when we are facing a terrible situation. We can also be thinking, what have I done to cause it? What have I, how did I disturb the gods? You know, how did I disturb the, uh, the, the balance of the planet? So the Buddha was telling the people what you can do. You can live, you can live a, a noble life. You can live a wholesome life. You can, but you can be kind to each other. You can do no harm to each other. And you can be motivated with generosity instead of greed. And so I think the teachings that Bhante Analio is trying to first instill in his audience is that the Buddha had a lot to say about dealing with chaos and dealing with uh, suffering. And the first thing we have to realize is we have to be able to sit with this chaos and not let it be uh, creating chaos within us. His answer is not going to say, okay, you guys don't do anything. I just want you to sit still while the whole planet falls apart. He's not saying that. But at first, he's making it really clear that that's one thing we have to be able to do. No matter how hard we're actually working and we found the, the, like a, an action that we can do that we think makes a contribution, He's saying we can't forget that we have to always go internally to find peace. We'll never find it out in this world. The world has always been chaotic. And the world has always had drought and fire and plagues. And, you know, we, we just can turn on the news and, and recognize that. So the message he's always taught is the message we need to hear. And that is we find our own peace. We make our own peace. And we become peaceful not just by sitting and meditating, but we, be we become peaceful because we begin to live a life that's a manifestation of that peace. So, and the Buddha said the, the Four Noble Truths that there is suffering and there's a, there, can be, there can be an end to suffering, and he showed us the path out of that suffering. So... Uh, this is what this is what keeps bringing me back to the foundational aspects of Buddhism because I I do think that we are we are you know we already have felt political upheaval and chaos and we see it all over the world right now this, this is not just an American thing and we see it in other countries at a much more devastating level than we're seeing it here but we see things in our country like as when we're in the midst of, you know, people talking about mindfully facing climate change, we're also seeing uh, water, you know, water protection just being given away to uh, developers and 
uh, coal mining was were being encouraged to to go get back into an outdated source of energy and a dangerous one. And um, we're seeing things that are devastating enough here, but we're we're still all in our homes unless unless we lost them during the recession. But we're all still have a warm place to sleep at night, probably. And uh, we're supposedly at a really great economic place in our in our country's history. And compared to the rest of the world, we are. But we but we're all feeling ca- internal chaos as well. What can I do? What do I need to do? What am I supposed to do? And um, the Buddhist teachings at first can make us think, oh, I don't need to do anything. I just need to sit and meditate. And there's a lot of good that happens from that. When we practice metta, like we did this morning, we are actually creating a field. We're we're creating a, a, a space around us that's protection. We're protecting ourselves, but we're by by sending out kindness, and the, the opposite of metta is anger. So by sending out no anger, but just absolute kindness to all beings, we're creating, we're like a safe place. We're like a little sanctuary. And you may not realize that, but if you're really practicing, that's what you're practicing. And so you become a safe sanctuary for other beings. And you may have noticed that people will come to you because they trust you, or they feel they can maybe share things with you because they don't think you're going to judge them, or you're not going to, you, you can be more honest with them because you're not going to yell at them, or uh, they just may feel comfortable around you because it's more peaceful than how they feel in other places. So you are doing a lot. Just when we meditate, we're making changes in the world because we're changing ourselves. But then there's always, there will always be things that call us individually, like like uh, different people in this community have found different ways that they that they can put their energy into some productive action. And that productive action isn't going to keep... Uh, it's not going to keep the world spinning exactly the same way that they like it to, but it's definitely a positive action, and it's definitely making a difference the same way we think of it as like our little spot on the cushion. That makes a big difference, and other people will tell you that, and they see it. So everything that I see with the people I talk to and the people who maybe... uh, come to me with something that, you know, they're suffering with. Everything tells me that the answers to to all of it are right in the basic fundamental teachings of the Buddha. Um, And and that's, we don't need to go further. We don't need to, I mean, I love to study the suttas and I love to understand the background and the history and all that stuff. But that's, that's not, that's not what, uh, that's, that's a separate thing from me being able to remember to be kind and to be uh, generous and to be uh, wishing no one any harm. You know, those things, I don't need to know anything about India 2,500 years ago or uh, I don't need to 
I mean, I don't need to get into a debate about whether Buddhism is the best religion or is it a religion or not or is there a god or not. That stuff is not even important. Those are those are sidetracks. But what is important is the are the foundational things the Buddha taught. And that's that's all he he had 45 years and he he taught it as much as he could. And now his teachings are still alive. But I often think we're, we, we're losing track of those teachings. You know, it's, it's getting close to the time for a new Buddha to come. Because we, we get sidetracked easily, even between different groups of Buddhists. Like, well, these Buddhists, you know, or these Buddhists do this, but we do this. And we can see the differences, and that's wonderful. But what we often do is we see the differences and we think, well, ours must be better than theirs, or maybe theirs is better. So we can spend a lot of time trying to, you know, see which one's best, or whose meditation is best, or whose, uh, whose way of practicing is best. And then we forget about what the practice is all about. And with all Buddhists that are actually doing any kind of practice in any different group or sect, what needs to be most important is kindness and generosity and uh, not harming themselves and others and working with the Four Noble Truths, which means working in some way with the Four Noble Truths and then the Eightfold Path. Whatever they're practicing, it revolves around that Eightfold Path. And they may not even call it that, but that's, that's what being a Buddhist is about. It's about learning to live on this earth in a way that is being as gentle as we can be to not hurt or damage anyone or anything. And that first of it has to start first with how we feel about ourselves. And then our meditation practice is a way for us to like have all that stuff sink in and really understand it. It's a, it is our, the practice is giving us the actual embodied feeling of peace. And, uh, and metta, I think, is very important because we can feel that. So I don't think we have to worry about what is nirvana or nibbana, uh, how do we achieve enlightenment, how fast can we go in this lifetime, uh, or debate about whether, whether you know, we, we, everything is debatable. But what I see and what I see people hurting with the most, I see people who can't forgive and they cling on to it. I, I see people who I've known for years and almost anything that they want to talk about is going to be about how they have been hurt or they can't forgive people in their past or, um, you know, things they can't let go of, things that they're clinging to, which we know that's what causes suffering. They're clinging to emotional things that they still, they still are, they're, they're, uh, they're, it's like they're eating that, uh, suffering. It gives, it, it, it gives them the energy they need to keep going forward. So, uh, I see that over and over. So if I talk to a person and they say, 
you know, I've been through a really difficult time and I'm, I'm just, I'm getting better, I'm getting over it, but I'm still feeling pain. That's, I'm so happy for them. You know, it's, I don't want to see them feeling pain, but they're seeing clearly. Like I had a difficult time. Maybe they lost a job or they lost a career or a partner or a good friend or a dog or a cat. But they know that they're, they know that they had a, they're grieving, but they know it's pain. They know it will go away. And, uh, when I, when I talk to somebody like that, I think, wow, they really, they get it. They're, they're okay sharing that they're, they're experiencing pain. I would, I talked to someone recently and she was describing that she, she had been in pain for a while because of some transition in her life. But she said, I'm getting much better. But she said, I really have too much time on my hands. So I really want to find some volunteer, some of the volunteer things she was doing. She, she wanted more. And it wasn't like in a, a, a grabbing on. Let me just bury myself in, in uh, activities. She wanted something that would actually help her with this healing process. And, and I know she's, she's gonna, she'll do that. Because she wasn't talking about, you know, this happened to me and I just can't let go of it. We say that in different ways. She had let go of, but she knew herself and she knew she was still in that, in that grief mode, but she was coming out of it. So always check what you're saying to yourself. You know, always come back to the fundamentals and think about the cause of our suffering is clinging, and we can be clinging to good stuff, but we also cling to bad stuff. And the path out of it is being kind, is being uh, a noble friend, it's being, you know, it's very simple. But it over and over again, that's what everything comes back to. So we forget it. Or we get too, we let our minds get too complicated and we start going out, spinning out, which is another thing meditation really helps us with. We start catching our minds spinning out. If we're sitting and trying to watch our breath, we catch ourselves before we're out on level, you know, level eight planet X, Y, Z. Because our practice is teaching us to catch ourselves. To just catch ourselves a little bit. Whoops, I can't even remember if I'm on an in-breath or an out-breath. And come back. And it really helps with that crazy mind. We start out maybe... uh, stubbing our toe in the morning and we let it spin out to where we're back at not forgiving somebody who caused us to have a traffic accident 20 years earlier. And our day is ruined, right? We, 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 so this practice is also helping us learn to come back, stay grounded, come back to your body, stay here. And you can do it. I, I was at Costco yesterday, and there was this really cute uh, woman at the checkout counter. I think she was pregnant. And she was a chick person. And there was a young teenager helping her. And she was like, oh, it's been a crazy day. And the young teenager came up to her and said, now breathe. I want you to breathe. And she, and she said, I don't have time to breathe. And he and I both laughed. 
I wanted to say, you at least breathe for your baby if you can't breathe for yourself, because somebody here, somebody in this body needs to be taken care of. And and he kept telling her, no, no, you have to breathe. And it was so wonderful watching it. It was like, okay, we people do say this all the time. I don't have time to breathe, or I don't I don't breathe very much. I'm, we that's all we can't that's the only thing keeping us alive right at this moment you realize that right so so take that time to breathe and come back to yourself when you feel your thoughts just going off into that crazy place or you feel like you just want to stay in bed all day stop and breathe and feel and feel yourself welcoming yourself back home because we have to just keep coming back. We have to come back. Let everything else be simple. Um, don't get involved in anything more than you really feel called to get involved in. I'll let you know what Bonte Analio says. Is I mean, I know we're going to talk about right action, and he's going to say whatever you whatever you do to try to uh, get yourself actively involved in helping the world. Whatever we do, we do it without anger. We do it with our heart full of metta. So we can't do it because, oh, these bad people, you know, or we, we have to do it with love because we know that that there is no, then one thing he said very clearly, there is nothing, there is no righteous anger. And boy, that's a hard one to give up. I've been working on that for about the last 35 years. This, most of my recovery work is in letting go of that righteous anger. So there is no such thing as righteous anger. We either are angry or we're not angry. And that's something that we have to be willing to stop clinging to. And it can be a big one. So that means when you look for a, a way to do a, to do action that's gonna make you feel good and it's gonna be a help to the world instead of a hindrance, uh, it has to be done out of love. It can't, if it's done out of anger, it's not gonna, it's not gonna help. But there, there's more. I know he's saying more, so I'll share it with you. So thank you everybody.